Hello, and welcome to Book Horde. I'm Megan. And I'm Denise. And we are here with a random special episode, not talking about a book. We are here to talk about, uh, this weekend we went to the Tucson Festival of Books. Hell yeah. Well, this is, what? how many times have we gone? This is our second or third time this that we went? second time. Yeah, so we've we've been there before. We had a little bit of experience, at least with getting around, but um, we've also been a y'all with, so we have been to a few festivals, a few book festivals. Yeah, we went to this one, um... Oh my god, it feels forever ago. <laughs> um, it was before COVID. I would right, say- <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like we had a life before the pandemic. What? I know. Um, and I would say it might have been like a year or two before COVID as well. Like, um, God, was it before it we even went feels- to Korea? No, were we that close? Um, I don't think it was before Korea, but I can't remember if it was during our college days. Yeah, same. Anyway, we went one it, time before. It must have been during our college days. Yeah. Because I got married the year after I graduated. And from then on, I remember going to Yawes with my husband. Once. Yeah. 2019. The trail. No. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he got me free flight tickets to Santa Monica. I had to take him up on that offer. Uh, the you flight know. was not to Santa Monica. We've had this discussion, Denise. <laughs> it was it was to Los Angeles. Respect yes. the drip. Okay. okay. Um, I'm going to take a plane ride instead of a 10-hour drive. Jesus. Five. <laughs> It feels like 10, Megan. It does. It does. It did feel like 10 that one time. Um, remember? Oh, my I, God. Of course I remember. Especially L.A. L.A. by itself <laughs> is like its own nightmare. It honest God is. Um, yeah. So we've been to this before, and I feel like you can definitely feel the effects COVID had on and I'm not talking just about how all the masks, I mean, how it was run. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like they definitely changed things up. Uh, when we went the yeah. first time, almost all of the panels were like in the class. Okay, so the Tucson Festival of Books, it is at the University of Arizona in Tucson is where they mm-hmm. hold it. And... When we went that first time, most of the panels where the authors were talking happened in classrooms. Whereas this time, um, sorry, my dog can't get to me, so obviously I'm being <laughs> murdered and she has to get in here. <laughs> She's like, open the door, Megan. What are you doing? Mom, you're being killed. I can feel it. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing in there that you can't have me there? <laughs> um, as this time around, everything was outside. All the panels were in tents, and it was it was interesting. 
Yeah, so everything was outside, and um, I gotta say, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, like, I saw that some panels were in buildings, but I remember, at least for all the big authors that we've been to, they were inside, mm -hmm. and considering one of the panels we saw was Schwab, I thought yeah. they would have, like, a nicer setup, but they had... Even the tent itself was kind of small, and there wasn't a ton of chairs. Like, there was actually a lot of people standing at the back. But mm -hmm. that could have just been from, like, volunteers not getting people to sit closer together, and they yeah, kind of letting them of... social distance. Which, yeah. I mean, I would have planned with having the chairs more spread out, but mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what it looks like from their planning side for that festival. I can't. Yeah, we kind of forced our way into chairs because I was not going to stand out in the sun. I saw that there was just a lot of people who were... I feel like everyone probably could have had a seat if everyone who left, like, a chair between them and the next person had just sat next to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of forced that to happen with people because I was like, I ain't sitting. Like, it I, was I'm not standing. That. Yeah, so... Um, it was, it was, it was interesting. I, I have to say though, this isn't a festival I will probably go to again. I think I, yeah. I mean, depending on the authors, but like, were the ones that we saw enough to make me want to go again? Probably not. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember for past years, but I remember there being enough authors to where I wanted to go again. And this time mm -hmm. it was really just two names and then everyone else was like, cool if we see them, cool, cool if, if we, we don't. don't. Yeah, which we did. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the first panel we went to, um, it was called Fantasy Gateway. And that was with TJ Clune and Victoria Schwab, or V.E. Schwab. Um, I've read a ton of Schwab. I know if you've read some. And you've read TJ Clune's uh, House by the Cerulean Sea and Under the Whispering yes. Door. I haven't read any of his things. I have not felt in an emotional place. That I was like, I could probably read this. Just from, like, everything I've seen from people, I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to be, like, prepared to feel my feelings. <laughs> yeah, especially Under the Whispering Door, which does deal with death. That yeah. one, you do have to be in the right mindset, even if it is, like, a, like a sad, happy kind of feeling. <laughs> House in the Cerulean Sea deals with a lot of heavy topics and it just seems very lighthearted on the surface. It's like one of those like middle grade vibes type mm -hmm. where you're just like, if I think about this, this is a really dark book. But on the surface, it seems really lighthearted. Um, uh, I highly recommend both of them though. I think House in the Cerulean Sea might have been in my top ten last year. I don't remember. Uh... I, I love them a lot. I think House in the Cerulean Sea, I've already read it three times since I first read it oh, like, really? a couple months ago, which is huge for me who doesn't usually reread books, mm -hmm. even if I love them. So I yeah. think that says a lot about how 
good it was and how easy it is to pick up and reread too. Okay, okay. Yeah, I definitely, I would definitely want to read his stuff. I just, like I said, I'm like, yeah, I haven't been in that mental vibe that I'm like, I'm gonna read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think we can both say that of the panels we saw, which were two. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly there's only two that we attended um but of the two i feel like this one was really well done and i really enjoyed it um there were people in the audience who i think probably didn't went in there not knowing who schwab or clune were and were very impressed by them because of it um, oh, yes. Even hearing the comment from one of the volunteers that was sitting next to us, she was like, wow, Schwab is so um, eloquent, art- I think. Was- articulate. Articulate was mm-hmm. the word she used. Yes, and, and I, she was. I could, I could see it on people's faces because there was like an older population mm-hmm. that usually attends the Tucson Festival of Books. Yeah. And I could tell that they were just kind of there to see um, the panel. Mm-hmm. And then I could see the like younger population that mm-hmm. was there that because they had read their books and was like, oh yeah, hell yeah this is Schwab. And yeah, Clue. you definitely had that younger population, and I think because of how big that crowd was, I think that drew in a lot of the older crowd too because they're like, oh, there's a lot of people at this panel. Let me join. Oh yeah, and I, I think I could definitely see like they were impressed by the panel, which was really cool to see. Yeah, because I remember seeing a lot of um, a lot of elderly people in the crowd when we were attending the panel, but when it came down to the line for the sign, yeah. it <laughs> was were. just oh, like, all the young yeah. folk. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, I didn't see you guys over there, but hey. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, a lot of, I think a lot of the young kids kind of just went to get it signed and it didn't go to the panel. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not even just talking about leaving the panel early, which quite a few people did. I mean, I think Smart, smart. (laughs) It was, but I also, I liked hearing them answer the questions from the crowd. Like, that's when most people left was when they turned it over to the crowd. Um, Mm -hmm. But... They, um, <laughs> they, there was quite a few who I think literally just got in line. Like, and they started in the line. Like, yeah. panel or not panel. Like, they found out where the signing was going to be and they hung out there. Yeah, I mean. Which, like, I cool for you. That would be really boring for me, but cool for you. <laughs> yeah, for me, I prefer the panel, getting to see the authors mm-hmm. also like interact with each other answering our questions that's what i think is the coolest part of meeting authors is just seeing how they're real people mm-hmm. yeah what and just chit chatting. i mean yeah, especially especially clue and schwab they had a very i think one of the reasons the panel went really well is they had a very good uh chemistry together mm-hmm. they did yeah and it felt like they were just having a conversation in front of us and you could even tell at times too because they would um like finish the answer to their question turn off the mic and then go to talk to each other like yeah oh, you were saying this yeah. and then they just turn back to the crowd like oh sorry oh, sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sidebar anyways <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, and I honestly, think that's one of the reasons that panel, the first panel went really well is because yeah. they vibed really well together. Yeah, they did. And honestly, if I were Clune, like, I would have been fangirling so hard being next to Schwab. Like, not that Clune is amazing and Schwab is probably fangirling too, but, like, Schwab's my queen. You know that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, like, she was saying how she had written, what, 21 books in the 21 last 10 years? Books. Just Ooh. hearing that number, I would have been like, all right, here's the mic. I'm going to go. <laughs> so you go. Else. I so mean, you're in also- charge. <laughs> I mean, I know he's published a lot of books and he's like a really great author in his own right. But man, she's like an OG. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The new style of YA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, let's just kind of go through their, that panel really quick um, with like things that I... T- we took notes on and thought were really interesting. Um, they were asked that notes question. <laughs> yes. Uh, they were asked the question, like, what was your gateway to fantasy? Um, and TJ Clune brought up uh, Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wayne yes. Jones, which I was like, Yes, I think every queer person will agree that Howl's Moving Castle <laughs> um, oh. was amazing. Oh, totally. Uh, I think we all had crushes on Howl. <laughs> my first my first cosplay when I started cosplaying was Sophie from Howl's Moving Castle. Yes, yes. And I still have, like, my grandmother helped me make her dress, and I still have it because it's so beautiful. I, I love Sophie. I love Howl's Moving Castle. Was it Sophie from the book, or was it Sophie from, from the anime from anime, the Studio okay. Ghibli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which both are amazing, but I would definitely say that um, I like I like anime Howl better, but book Sophie better, like. Book Sophie literally throws shit at Howl, like, and calls him names, yeah. and like she just has so much spunk to her that I feel like you didn't really get in the anime as what as much. Um, but both are still amazing. Howl's Moving Castle is still an amazing book. Howl's Moving Castle is still an amazing anime. I think um, okay, and this is a sidebar, but okay. <laughs> I feel like as someone who watched the anime first and didn't realize there was a book and only read the book as an adult, but had mm-hmm. already seen the movie several times, mm-hmm. I think the movie is good in its own right. But if you mm-hmm. come from watching the book or from reading the book, my bad, you you'll see how much was left out. And how they change things. Yeah, yeah, but as long as you, like, separate them and see them as two completely different things, I think it's really good. Yeah, and I think, luckily, a lot of the fans do that. Yeah, because I I love the movie. I saw it so many times, and then I read the book, like, I think last year or two years ago, very recently, and Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, shit, a lot of this is not in the movie. yeah. Why did no one tell me to read this? <laughs> yeah, they definitely changed it up. Well, because I definitely think Hayao Miyazaki, like, it's definitely more based on the book than an adaption of the book, in my opinion. Um, and I'm fine with that because it was amazing. 
uh, there are some books where that happens when, like, you kind of just want to, like, throw things at someone, but Howl's Moving Castle is not that. Ella Enchanted is that. What? Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I think that's a great gateway for a lot of people. Um, Victoria Schwab mentioned that her gateway was Neil Gaiman, which if you follow her on social or anything, like, that's no surprise. She is a Gaiman fan. Um, Mm -hmm. which also doesn't surprise me either. I think a lot of her books, you can see his influence too, uh, which is cool. Um, and then they talked about like why they started writing, why fantasy became the thing for him. Um, and, um, TJ Klune mentioned how he grew up in a, uh, rural Oregon town uh, below below the poverty line and grew up with a homophobic family. So reading became escapism for him. Um, yeah, so he, I think a lot of our LGBTQ, um, a lot of LGBTQ readers can relate to that need for escapism, um, that need for um, he went, he toured to lean more towards the cozy fantasy, um, because of that, that need for happiness, he said, uh, hence why he mentioned Diana Wayne Jones and that Neil Gaiman as his gateway, I yeah. think. Um, but it was, I mean, hearing that, I was like, I mean, you can kind of, like, I was like, so many people could probably relate to what he went through. Yeah, and I think I I love that they were both on a panel together because I would put them on opposite sides of that fantasy spectrum. Yes. <laughs> but I think there's also a good um, like underlying current in both of their books where there are heavier topics and they just choose mm-hmm. to go about them in different ways. Yeah. And that's what I love about both of them as someone who's read... A lot of their books. Yeah. Yeah. Is just, I can still, even if Clune is talking about heavy stuff, I can still, um, you know, on a rainy day, on on a rougher day where I need a pick-me-up, I can still pick up, you know, House in the Cerulean Sea and Mm -hmm. feel, like, happy at the end of it. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas Schwab, you know, you (laughs) might have a happy ending, but she will rip your heart out. (laughs) Well, that's because, so he brought up how he was an avid avid reader. He was writing stories, like, everywhere he went because he was Mm -hmm. trying to escape. And she mentioned how she was the opposite, right? Like, she's like, I wasn't a big reader. Um, And then she read uh, Harry Potter when she was 11. That's when it uh, came out for her. And that's when, (laughs) like, she was like, words have power. And I want to make people feel things <laughs> like yes <laughs> like it was it, it was that total opposite of I would say like he was like I want people to be cozy and she was like I want to destroy lives <laughs> 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 with my words <laughs> oh yeah and so, I and I completely agree that is exactly what I feel reading each of their respective books <laughs> yes exactly um so I 
like you, that's another reason I thought it was really cool that they had them on the same panel because they had such opposite um, spectrums of answers, like <laughs> with how things yeah. happened for them. Um, you had the guy who was reading a lot as a kid and you have the one who wasn't until Harry Potter, which is another thing I think a lot of people can relate to. Harry Potter was the gateway book for so many readers of my age. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, the millennial also, book. True. And also getting someone that it wasn't just an immediate love for books the second they learned to read or anything. It was something that as they got older, they found maybe the series that got them into it. Um... And had a, you know, a villain backstory like Schwab, who's like, oh, yeah. This I made know, me she feel sounded things. like such a villain backstory. <laughs> and then Clune, who's like, you know, the superhero kid. Yes. Well, Clune had that, you know, um, when he wrote stories and he had those, the two co-teachers um, in seventh grade who supported him and told him that he was going to be a writer one day, that they were going to see his books in a bookstore in a library one day. And, um, I mean, that spoke to me a lot because I'm an English teacher. Um, I unfortunately haven't come across someone I would say would be on Clune's level, but I've come across kids who I'm like, it more comes from, like, their drawing, because kids are, like, kids are drawing a lot these days, uh, more so than mm-hmm. I thought, like, than kids my age were. Maybe I'm just lying. I wasn't paying attention. Um, but I have a lot of kids who um, are drawing, and they have these cool abilities, um, and they come up with backstories. That's when, like, it's when they're talking to me that I'm like, mm. yes. Writing, not so much, but when they're talking to me, I can mm-hmm. see it. But that speaks more towards how the education system is failing our kids these days. But we're not going to get into that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's a major sidebar right there. (laughs) Yes, that's a major sidebar. But um, I just, I really liked that story. But then then he had an eighth grade teacher who said his writing was shit. And I was like, who do you want me to beat up? (laughs) (laughs) I... I cannot, I'm sorry, this is another sidebar. If you are a teacher, if you ever say anything negative to a child, you should not be a teacher. You can provide constructive criticism. You cannot just upright insult a child. Like, you... Constructive criticism. Yeah, and now that history teacher is eating her words. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, constructive criticism does not equate being a dick or yeah. just, you know, tearing into their work. Yeah, when I'm being a dick to my kids, I'm being a dick because they're dicks. I'm not being a dick because <laughs> of their ability. <laughs> yeah, and there's a certain approach when it comes to um, looking at something that someone made, you know? Yeah, and then, um... <laughs> oh... Going back to Schwab really quick with her villain origin story. That's um, remember how she said that her mom had a prophecy read to her oh, while she yes. was pregnant. She and said that she had a several like four page prophecy four page made about prophecy. her. This woman came up with a four page prophecy for Schwab. 
And basically, like, to sum it up, she said she's either going to be a writer or a cult leader or something like that, right? Like, (laughs) And then her mom walked in on, like, 11-year-old Schwab reading (laughs) Harry Potter and how happy she was. And she was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing the direction that her life was going to turn. I mean, what a... (laughs) I would argue Schwab is both. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. She's an unintentional cult leader. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Ask any of her fans what they'd be willing to do for her, and I'm sure it'd be the same answer as a cult following. (laughs) Yeah. Cult follower. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was a really fun panel, and then also hearing how they draft differently. I can't remember Clune so much. I remember Schwab's just because of how shocking it was. And it was shocking to Clune too. Like she wrote things, she wrote backwards. Like she started at the end. Mm-hmm. And she then said she- how she usually, she usually has an idea brewing for years. And when it's the ending that she has finally thought of, that's when she's like, okay, I can sit down and write this. Yeah. And then she'll go back and make sure that the whole plot and everything she's thought up up until that point does lead towards the ending that she Well that it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That it makes sense. It's not Mm -hmm. so much that she revolves the whole plot around the ending she wants, it's just making sure that it will lead there. Yeah. And like in 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 a way that it makes sense and is well done. Um, I think the biggest shocker to me was she like she says she writes chapters out of she writes the chapters out of order which i've heard before um but she writes the sentences out of order and i'm like how <laughs> how, how? <laughs> like I, that blew Clune's mind too <laughs> i like that she just had a sentence in her head that she was like this is good i'm going to write this down and then just put it up on her wall she said a post-its or whatever um and then just go on from there because i think in my head i would be like i don't know i'm gonna change this yeah but it's not it's not just that though like she also like she writes the whole set like chapter out of order like she will just write sentences and then like it's like a puzzle piece and then she puts the sentences in the order that she wants she was saying and i'm like I, my brain literally can't function that way. Like, kudos to people like her. I, <laughs> my brain would explode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's why she wrote 21 books. It worked for yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I, maybe should be doing it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, creative writing teachers are like, write that down, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and... Um, the, uh, the with Clune, I liked how he brought up. We we talked about this. I like how he brought up the sensitivity readers. Yes, that was one of the big things he brought up, and he gave a shout out to them, and and saying that they were a huge help, especially when you have a diverse, uh, diverse cast mm-hmm. of characters, and making sure that what um what you write for them. Even even the, the small, minute details mm-hmm. aren't something that um, could be misconstrued or something that you didn't even intend could appear. And he gave the example of 
I believe it's for his next book, one that's not been published, I'm going to guess. And that he had a character who uh, she was the like a social rights activist and she was being interviewed by a reporter who was white. And the reporter the entire time was very calm, very collected. And the character who was the social rights activist was getting angry. It was black themselves. And, and it wasn't some, even that he said they were getting angry. It was something just like one word. Yeah, it was that um, he described this. At some point in the conversation, they snapped. And um, like he, he said, said that, that word. Yeah, like she, she snapped. She snapped a yeah. response. Yeah. She snapped a response at the reporter and the. What are they called? The sensitivity reader told, made a note and was like, you know, uh, they spoke about how in uh, black community is often seen as getting angrily easily and other stereotypes that it, a line like the that. Black community, be, like black women themselves, especially. Yes. Black women. The angry themselves black especially. woman stereotype. Yes. And that he might have just had a line there. But it was a very, um, it was just not okay in that it would be even more, what was the word? I'm like trying to remember what he said. It would be even more impactful if the entire time the civil rights activists or the social rights activists had the same energy that the reporter Mm -hmm. had. Yeah. And just was calm and collected themselves and that that would be even more impactful. Yeah. And he was like, okay. And he he took that in mind and he rewrote that entire scene. And he, yeah, he rewrote that scene. He said in just that small change, instead of having um, the sentence say, blah, 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 she snapped, she said, Mm -hmm. like just doing that. And he said it changed the entire scene. Yeah, and I think he he said that um, just in general, sensitivity readers were like, what did he say? Like one of the biggest, I can't remember. I'm like trying to remember his exact words and it's all like. Stop doing that. <laughs> stop trying to remember his exact words I didn't stop take it. notes I didn't take notes <laughs> well I didn't take exact like reward notes either <laughs> he just yeah he was just giving them a lot of props yeah a lot of credit where credit is due um and I think we should also take this time to like sidebar and say that um we're both aware that there is um some controversy with Clune uh, when it comes to one of his books, I can't remember which one because I haven't read it. Um, maybe you remember. I, th- I think it was Cerulean Sea. Okay. And um, he, I guess, has said that um, the idea came from uh, the indigenous um, schools. And yes. a lot of people have thought that that isn't right. Uh, he is a white man um, using this idea of this um, yeah. of these residential schools that have still uh, very much impact the Native community. Um, the last school in the U.S., I believe, was closed in the 90s. Um, it Those schools were a big reason for the cultural genocide that Native Americans are facing at the moment. 
um, the mm-hmm. generational trauma that is still actively affecting um, Native Indigenous communities as well um, stem a lot from these residential schools. So we recognize that. Um, and I don't know if that maybe might be why he brought up the sensitivity readers. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think we should say much more on it just because I'm a white woman and neither of us. Yeah. I'm only Mexican. Yeah. Neither of us are native. Yeah. I can't speak for that community. Mm -hmm. I can't accept his apology. If he made one, I'm not even sure. Yeah. Um, That is not my. Yeah. It's not our um, apology to accept. It's not our, um, if the, the Native community is offended, they have a right to be. Um, I, as a white woman, can't say they can or cannot. Um, All I can do is recognize that they were and, you know, voice that, obviously, if they felt that way, it's because of a reason and something needs to be done. It needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be fixed. Um, So uh, we are aware of the controversy yeah, good point. And yeah, uh, I think you said it all. I think you said it well. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I, it, it's um, it's just it's so it's just so hard to even um, wrap my brain around how it must feel as an indigenous person. Um, I have indigenous students. I have I live in a community where we are the, we're literally right on a reservation. Um, and so we have a lot of Native students. So um, all you can do is try to be respectful at, of the community, try to uh, educate yourself, acknowledge the issues that are there, and do better. So, yep. Period. <laughs> uh, so I, I just want to put that out too because we were talking about Clune and um, I feel like he's probably going to be like he's probably one of the bigger portions of this part because that was the panel that we enjoyed the most uh, mm-hmm. so I just thought like we should at least acknowledge that yeah and since we also brought up how he mentioned sensitivity readers mm-hmm. so I feel like that was a good segue into yeah. um controversy something that's been happening something in recent news for the book community yes and i'm not sure if the book itself was written in a way that like it's blatantly you can tell it's about residential schools uh because i don't remember this controversy really happening until he said that's where he got the idea from right yeah i i remember this as being very recent that people were talking about it but maybe that's also because i'm not in the i don't really see behind the scenes i really just read the books and then just Mm -hmm. read like you know some reviews on it Mm -hmm. yeah we i I wouldn't be able to see uh, i wouldn't have been able to catch that as a white woman who is hasn't had to um, live with the residential school, um, how that has affected me and my family and the community, I, I wouldn't have probably caught that. So maybe it is written in there and I, we just don't see it. Uh, 
if it is, yeah. obviously, I think it needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that also, I think, is a good segue into the second panel that we went to, which was about um, true crime, right? Or not true crime, but like mystery and crime. Uh, yeah, uh, thrillers and crime. Thrillers crime. and crime. Crime yeah. thrillers. And uh, we went because uh, of the author. Can you say her name? Because I don't have Angeline Bully. Angeline Bully, who wrote The Fire's Keeper's Daughter. And uh, Denise has read this book. I have not. I started to. And then if you don't think I was in the headspace for Clune books, I haven't been in the headspace <laughs> for head, uh, Firekeeper's Daughter. Um, oh, yeah. But it it's also a book I feel like a lot of people have been talking about. Um, I believe it's from, like, a, a couple awards. And so... Um, and like I said, I work with a lot of Native students, so it's a, um, it is a book that I think is very important. And so we went to go check out that panel. And what were your thoughts on that panel? I, it was hard to follow up the Clune and Schwa panel that I think went so well, you know, their chemistry, um, just how the panel went in general. I still think I the only issue I had with the second panel is that the authors weren't like I know they all wrote some sort of thrillers or crime, but I felt like they weren't on the same like, I don't know, same genre. Is that the right way to put it? It, it just felt kind of disjointed. There wasn't that conversation that we banter that we saw panel, in the first panel. We also came to the panel True. late. So we might have missed more like, of that like crime. Ten minutes. <laughs> oh, true, true, definitely. Yeah, I think maybe it's just we would have gotten a lot more of it, especially um, the importance of Bully's book, Farkeeper's Daughter, mm -hmm. if we had seen her on a panel with other Indigenous authors Which instead she of just will, that. She, she was. Author. We just didn't go yeah. to it because it was um, it was on Sunday, and we were only there for Saturday. Yeah, and I think I I, I that's what that's the kind of panel I expected and the kind of panel I would have enjoyed more. Mm -hmm. Just because of course as a thriller as a crime solving detective book, detective type book, that's that's not really what I was reading the book for and what I appreciated the most out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I wanted to listen to her talk about. And that's not what the panel was about, which I mean, it's not her fault. It's not, you know, the panel organizers fault. But I think that's why I specifically didn't enjoy it as much as I would have. Yeah. And what my expectations were going into it. Yeah. Well, and the chemistry between the authors wasn't as great either. Um, they obviously, they obviously all respected each other. Um, we just didn't get that same banter. Uh, but I also think that's just because of, uh, for Angeline, uh, her book came out during the pandemic. I think this might be one, like, the first time she's, like, at an event. Uh, so I think she was probably very shy. Um, and who was the, there was Mariko, who is the... Mariko Tamaki, and then... The third author 
was, was um, Kathleen Glasgow. Kathleen Kathleen Glasgow. I was like Kathleen Glasgow. Yes. Um, yeah. And so they all had thrillers. They all had mystery in common. Um, but that was pretty much it. And I I would yeah. have liked to have seen more questions be about the mystery and thriller crime aspect. Um, we got some, but not that much. Um, I was I also would have liked to hear more from Angeline. Uh, but like I said, I just don't think that's her. I don't think she's really talkative. Um, just from what we saw there. And, but from what we heard from her, I found it to be very interesting, um, especially what she did say about um, the Indigenous community and the Indigenous readers, writers. Um, one of the things mm-hmm. that stuck out the most to me was how she said that there can't be the one great Indigenous novel because there's there's too many Indigenous cultures. Um you know, how everyone brings up the great American novel, the great British novel, you know, there can't be a great indigenous one because all of the tribes are so different. All of the um, indigenous people are so different. Not to say that American people aren't different, but I mean, like, um, I just thought that was an interesting take on it. um, Because I know a lot of people would love to say, like, this is the great one out right now, which um, it is an amazing book out. But um, it is about specifically that specific tribe in that specific area. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can't just base everything you know of Indigenous people off that one book because it is so different. Exactly. Yeah. Period. (laughs) Well, and... I'm sorry. You just say everything so eloquently. I'm like, damn. I took the note. She 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 said it. <laughs> she said it. She went off. Yeah, definitely. I um I also um I remember someone in the audience asked her uh, if there are any if there's any books with indigenous rep that she would recommend and she says that unfortunately there's still not a lot of uh books from indigenous authors and about indigenous characters that gets published every year. I think she said that when she looked at statistics, it was something like 40 a year, 38 a year, a really low number. Um, And so she can't really say. And I mean, uh, also relating to what you said, you can't just recommend one book and have it speak for the entire community or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I think the question, and the question too was about, um, were there any indigenous books that she, that like, that had, were there any books that had like written by an indigenous author, author, or that had, uh, no, it was just a book with an indigenous main character that Mm -hmm. she um, read growing up that had influenced her at all. And she said no. And she felt bad about saying no. Uh, But Mm -hmm. she said um, a lot of the books out there, still rely a lot on the stereotypes and she's not wrong (laughs) um 
Yeah. Because I think a lot of the books, especially while she was growing up, because she is older. um, Mm -hmm. And by older, I mean, I think she's in her 50s in comparison to the other two authors who look to be in their 20s or 30s. Um, But when she was growing up, I think that any books that had indigenous rep were written by white authors. Um, And even still... That's prob- that is the case now. I think any book that has an indigenous character in it, uh, the majority of it, it's a side character and it's written by a white author. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, if you don't, you can research as much as you want, um, but unfortunately, you can still end up writing, relying mostly on stereotypes. Um Hence why sensitivity readers are so important. Um, so it was it was really interesting to hear that. Like going from a panel where they were talking about all these other books that influenced them and then having to hear from this woman, no. You know, there was she did she's never seen herself in a um in a book like that. And um, she, and she even mentioned um one book where the representation was so bad that it stuck out to her, especially because it was from an author that she enjoyed and whose other books she really loved and Mm -hmm. would still recommend to remember that the one book where it had an indigenous character and it was done so badly Mm -hmm. stuck out to her. Yeah. I have the name of the book. I don't know if we should say it. I don't want any authors coming for us. (laughs) I would keep it off, but she did say that. um, Yeah. It, it was in her genre, thriller book. Yeah. Uh, a crime mystery, mystery crime. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, it was, so I just thought that was really interesting and really important to hear, especially, um, I told you, right, I watched, I watched um, Turning Red the other day. Yes. So me being me, I like, was, I loved it, so I was like, I want to read about other people who loved it. So, like, I looked at, I Googled Turning Red, and there was this, of course, <laughs> uh, backlash about this review that this guy wrote, this white dude, who said that the, um, because the movie was, in a, was about an Asian 13-year-old in, uh, like, the Asian part of Toronto, it limits the movie and makes it hard for people to see themselves or something like that. (laughs) And (laughs) I was like, oh, geez, Louise. Of course, I then had to go see about what other people were saying about that idiot. And (laughs) they were like, gee, it must be hard to not be able to see yourself in any media. <laughs> and I was like, this is exactly what Angeline was talking about. You, she what, didn't have the privilege, the opportunity to see someone like herself in the books that she was reading. Um, so, yeah, I, it just, I, watching that movie and then, like, seeing that review... It really struck me with what Angeline said because I was like, so many people out there are able to yeah. do that. And I have been, you know, I have that white privilege of I see myself in media all the time. Uh, so I'd never think about it. 
Yeah, it's it's a skill that has been picked up and honed over the years by marginalized communities to be able to empathize and to see and try and put yourself in the shoes of someone that doesn't look like you, which is often the white community, because that's what you mainly see in film and most media. And you're only recently seeing um, it diversifying towards having different narratives included. And you do see some pushback from you know, the majority, the white community who's saying, whoa, <laughs> this person yeah. doesn't look like me. What do yeah. you, you think I'm going to enjoy this? You think I'm going to watch this? And it's like, yes, <laughs> um, really put yourself in someone else's shoes. And um, what I'm glad is, is I'm seeing that that diversity, which in the beginning seems so small and it was really just like like she said like the book she read that it was white authors and the majority white including these little side characters and just kind of throwing marginalized communities like a little nugget and like here you go and now it's pushing towards um actually having main characters and a main cast of characters that are um diverse that are different um from what we've been seeing before, and it's often written and um, being pushed by people who are from those marginalized communities. And I love to see it. I'm I'm glad to be on this, you know, precipice of uh, including in the white, especially in the white um, YA um, book community, this push towards diversifying it. And I love it. The fact that you got confused white with YA community. (laughs) It's so telling. I mean, I mean, it just embodied everything you just said. Um, I I found it really interesting what you said too, about that skill. Um, I've never thought about that, you know, the skill that um, you and other marginalized, um, basically other non white people have had to do Mm -hmm. is be able to put yourself in, um, someone else's shoes or position to enjoy something like a book or TV show or movie um, where you're not represented. And I, I've never thought of that. And it makes yeah. me wonder where, I mean, having that, I mean, that seems like such an important skill now. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's to, one of the ways when you grow up, you learn to expand your empathy where it's yes, like, exactly. you know, I don't look like this person, you know, this person doesn't have the same experience as me, but I can still find myself in them. I can still see the human in them, even if that human experience is different from mine. Denise, did you just discover the origin story of Karen's? <laughs> like they didn't like we've never had to do that so we grow up to be karens is that did you just did you just denise <laughs> holy shit i don't know man it's that hard whole thing like... just blew my mind that whole thing just blew my mind and like that's what i mean like as a white person i've never had to think like that like it i've never I don't mean like I've never tried to empathize, okay? I mean, I yeah. just, I've never thought of that being like a skill that you've like, that being a skill of having to do that and what that then leads to with empathy and compassion and holy shit, Denise. 
gonna write your doctorate <laughs> <laughs> coming soon in this fall of 2022 <laughs> Denise lectures at you <laughs> Do- the- my name is now Dr. Garcia hello hello <laughs> <laughs> practicing and putting those vibes out into the universe <laughs> this will happen yeah wow that was really amazing i've never thought about that i don't even have a follow-up to that because that was <laughs> that was you talked about me being articulate i mean damn girl <laughs> oh yeah man Period. No, yeah i mean <laughs> especially like like i mean i'm mexican and seeing the recent like encanto movie mm-hmm. which um you know highlights generational trauma and mm-hmm. seeing the connections to my own family and everything that comes with being from an immigrant family i'm like oh my god like i feel this in my soul and then having other people that you know um seeing comments and reviews and people are like you know i don't i don't understand this but i see the importance in it and mm-hmm. just like yeah like you know see it empathize with it understand it even if you on like you know the deepest part of your soul you don't fully know what it means to be there you can still learn about it you can still respect it you can still educate yourself with it acknowledge base level acknowledge it yeah and i think that's what's and i think that's what people need to do with uh turning red as well and um because it doesn't just cover the Asian immigrant uh, generational trauma. Um, it, I think just teen girls, like any girl could watch that show, like that movie, I'm sorry. And um, I mean, it talks about, it literally talks about getting your period. Like, and it mm-hmm. has pad, like the mom shows pads, like, and just that. And... Uh, a girl wanting to experience womanhood, um, all of these things, um, I think you can look at and be like, oh, I went through that too. That wasn't just something an Asian Asian Canadian girl went through. I went through that Mm -hmm. too. I can relate to that. We aren't so different. And like, we're not, so completely different like we do have the same experiences Mm. and in that way does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah and because even with Encanto I think um a lot I think a lot of people especially like LGBTQ people um Mm -hmm. look at that and can relate to it too um not just the um uh Mexican that uh Latinx right community Mm -hmm. Um, I think they can, uh, I think it's not just them who can I see themselves in there. I think they, it's definitely an important film for them. And I think it's a film, uh, we should acknowledge is like, I don't want to say for them, <laughs> but celebrates them. Does that make sense? Like celebrate yeah. them and their experiences. We can do right. that while also being like, I also kind of went through something like that, not like in a different way. Um mm-hmm. like I look at Isabel and I was and I'm like I, I I see a girl coming out the closet. And I know a lot of people kind of get mad when people say that. Um because they want to focus more on how she represents in the Latinx family. 
um, which is also fine and important and should be celebrated. But I also think um, you can see yourself in different characters. So I don't know. That was a tangent. Yeah. Wow. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I felt that. Like, you can relate your struggle to the emotions and the feelings that that character is going through and being like, that reminds me of my, you know, coming out story or, mm-hmm. you know, what it feels like to be you today, not just your journey. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we love to see with the representation and, you know, diversifying everything is getting to see yourself in it. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's almost like I can also see myself in a <laughs> Colombian beautiful girl <laughs> as a white meh woman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, wow, that was a long one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that was what I think. I think we said what I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, we went over um, everyone that we saw. It was <laughs> it was really cool to see those two panels. Um, I'm glad we got to listen to some of Angeline uh, Bully's uh, talk. I would have loved to have been able to go to the Indigenous uh, panel. Maybe we can plan for that a different time, or hopefully maybe there'll be something like that at Y'all West if we decide to go to Y'all West again. Um, if they post the authors. I know. I checked again today, and they still haven't posted. I'm like, you need to post the authors before a month before. People need to plan. Honestly, because then it's like, what but are we going like, to do? Like, yeah, but I guess some people are just like, I'm going to go no matter what, so who cares? So, I mean, if you live in Santa Monica, sure. No, I, do that I, too, I, but... I, feel like, I feel like people kind of just trust Y'all West will have a lot of authors there. So yeah. it's not it's like true. Tucson. I mean, like Tucson, a lot of it's local. Like a lot of it's local, a lot of it's indie authors, I would say. Um, that's true. Y'all West, you're going to get big authors. Yeah, I've, like, was it, it was at Y'all West. We saw Victoria Aveyard Wright, Holly Black, or. Well, we saw, that. we saw them outside. We saw them at a Changing Hands event. That's true. But we also saw them, remember that panel with the three of them? Where we went, we met Cinda Williams-Chima. Wasn't it at Y'all West? No, that was Tucson. No? God damn it, I don't remember. I know R.L. Stein, it was at Y'all West. Yes, that was not with me, though. That was with your husband. Thanks for confusing us. (laughs) Um, That was a fun event. No, but they had had Jay Kristoff. They had had Schwab. They had, I think they They had... Oh, they had... um, Divergent author. What's her name? Roth. They had Veronica Roth. Roth. They had Veronica Roth. Yeah, they had they like had... they had a lot of people. I think they That's I think true. Angie Thomas was there. Um I think Yes. Um, like there was Samaya a lot of Daoud people there. was there. Mm-hmm. There is there is a lot of big authors. Isn't that also where we met um Children of Blood and Bone? Yes. Yes. Tomi they... Adeyemi? Yes. Yeah, so a lot they've had a lot of big authors. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Y'all like, West, well, because Y'all West is really big. I think Y'all West is, yeah. Y'all West and Y'all East or whatever that's called, they're the two probably biggest book festivals, like, out there, I think, mm-hmm. like, for YA, so. Yeah, I can't, like, if they have at least, 
I don't know, five Let's authors? turn off really quick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't want to go on another tangent with me? No. <laughs> Take Let's my off really quick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening to this totally random episode of Bacord. I'm Megan. And I'm Denise. And Denise will tell you where you can find us on social media because she's in charge of that. Yeah. Um, check us out at Bookhorde Pod. That is our name on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, remember to rate us five stars or a thumbs up wherever you're listening to us. Please, please, please. And that really helps. And tell your friends about us. I don't know. You do you, boo. Read a book in our honor. Buy a book in our honor. Um, if you're waiting for a sign to buy a book, this is it. And yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.